Good morning once again. Certainly glad, a good thing to be here this morning. I am excited to be able to preach before you. Um, I'm especially glad to do so whenever um, the theme of the month is centered around a certain book of the Bible. I love being able to get into a a text of scripture. Uh, This book that we're all hopefully holding in our hands is the only source of of perfect wisdom that comes from above, which will give us the the perfect peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This month, we uh, consider the book of Revelation. So if you would be turning in in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. But to, um, well, I would, I would have to have to think that the majority of us have a basic understanding of the book of Revelation. But um, by way of uh, reminding, by way of refreshing our minds, look with me, if you would, in Revelation chapter 1 at the introduction of the book. Revelation 1, 1, 1 through 3. John writes, saying, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by uh, his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads uh, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So you, you see the, the process of the book. The revelation is of Jesus Christ. It's from God. It was given to an angel. That angel uh, gave it to John. John is now conveying this revelation to the servants of God and especially to those seven congregations spread throughout Asia Minor. Notice from verse 1 that God is signifying certain things. We probably know, but uh, the, the, this, the, this refers to the fact that this book is filled with signs. If we want to take this book literally, we're going to have to come to some very strange and some very radical conclusions. Thankfully, we have this thing called hermeneutics, which is a tool for interpreting scripture that we don't have to read this book without coming to some strange and and radical conclusions. Look at chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So uh, John was their brother and their companion in, number one, the kingdom. The kingdom was a a present reality in the days of John, and it still is today. Number two, tribulation. John was conveying this revelation in a time of great tribulation. Uh, There's been many disputes over what exactly this tribulation is. For the sake of this lesson this morning, let's assume that this tribulation was caused by the Roman Empire, particularly in the days of uh, the Emperor Roman Domitian, who reigned from about 81 to 96 AD. If you were to take this to be a Jewish persecution, I I think the the same principles that we'll consider this morning will by and large remain the same. So we have the church or we have the kingdom in a state of persecution or or tribulation, of of being persecuted. And you can almost feel uh, the church pre-given the the book of Revelation asking the question of Jeremiah 37, 17, where the question is asked there, is there any word from the Lord? And the answer is is yes. God was not going to stand idly by without giving his servants a word from the Lord. He was going to give uh, his final work of divinely inspired scripture to a persecuted people. And his message message is this. Look at what Jesus says to the congregation at Smyrna in chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give to you the crown of life. 
The message of Revelation is not, be faithful and I will spare you from persecution. The message is, be faithful unto death and I'll give you, give to you the crown of life. Uh, Wayne spoke this month from chapter 7 about the, the sealing of the servants of God. About how even though uh, they might meet, meet death, that because they had that seal, that wasn't the worst thing in the world that, that, that could happen to them. They would, as Jude said, be preserved in Jesus Christ, Jude verse 1. But what about those servants who did face death? What happened to them? We know that they would go on to meet the Lord, but, but was that the end? Did they just forget all the things that happened to them in their life? I don't quite think they did. What I want to focus on this morning is what was read in our hearing earlier. I want to focus on uh, the cry of the martyrs from chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And as we come to Revelation chapter 6, we, we find ourselves in the opening or the unsealing of the six seals. The seventh seal is going to be uh, open in chapter 8. Gail mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that great throne scene in, in Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 5 was the continuation of that. A scroll was found in, in the hand of him who sat on the throne. And John wept because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Chapter 5 and verse 3. But John would soon be comforted because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has indeed prevailed to open the scrolls and elucid seven seals. Chapter 5 and verse 5. And that this lamb of God was worthy not only to take this role, but because he was slain, he was and he still is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now chapter 6 is the evidence that the lamb was worthy to take and open the scroll. Because one by one, he is going to unseal each of these seals in uh, the last one in chapter 8. Now in quick fashion... Here is a breakdown of each of the opening of these seals. Verses 1 and 2, the first opening is represented by a white horse and probably represents the, the progressive nature of Rome and is conquering the world. Verses 3 and 4, the second is, opened by, is rep represented by a red horse, which seems to represent the persecution of Rome on the Christians. Verses 5 and 6, this opening is represented by a black horse, which was described, uh, which described persecution by way of uh, financial inflation and famine. And then 7 and 8, the fourth opening is represented by a pale horse, which had death riding upon it, uh, putting to death many, probably specifically Christians. 9 and 11 is again the cry of the martyrs. And then verses 12 through 17, we find what seems to be only temporary judgment as we uh, is signified through some cosmic disturbances. But again, in the middle of all of this opening of each of these seals, we have those who were killed for their faith crying out to God. Look again at verses 9 through 11. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said that they, would, uh, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So these martyrs are, are crying out to God and asking for what? They're asking for, for justice. They're asking for judgment. Uh, they're asking for something to be done to those who wrongfully shed their blood, who shed their blood only because they committed the crime of being a servant of the Most High God. This morning, I want to make some observations from these cries and see what they might mean for us who are gathered here this morning. Number one, a desire for justice is not wrong. A desire for justice is not wrong. So again, 
They're crying out, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And you follow that word earth throughout the book of Revelation, and particularly those who dwell on the earth, and it is not a positive thing. So they're calling for God to enact judgment or justice on the ungodly. And notice what God's response was uh, to this. A white robe was given to them, and they were told uh, to, to wait and to rest a little while longer. Nowhere in the text does it say that God was displeased because of their cries. He didn't rebuke them for questioning him. He didn't pour out his wrath on them for uh, wanting uh, wrath to be poured out on those who dwell on the earth. In fact, that the reaction that is given to these martyrs seems to be one of understanding. I understand your frustrations, but I'm just going to need you to wait a little while longer. Should we have a problem with their requests? We might say, well, shouldn't they be crying out to God for those to be saved and not punished? Shouldn't they be saying, uh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you send someone to evangelize those who, who dwell on the earth? This is actually pretty selfish of the martyrs, isn't it? How, how dare they call for someone else's destruction? But you see, if there was something wrong with this request, it would be obvious that uh, it would be an obvious thing. There would be some sort of indication that, that God was going to correct their mindset. Uh, we, we would know that, that he would say something along the lines of, you know, listen, guys, I, I know y'all are upset, but, but shouldn't you, re, would you, you really want someone to be punished? It, it's all love here. We don't want anyone to get hurt. But, but the fact is that this was not a wrong thing for these martyrs to desire justice. Or aren't, aren't, aren't we supposed to love mercy like it said in Micah 6 and verse 8? Well, yes, but if you look up a line before that, it says to do justly and to love mercy. We cannot just focus on the God of mercy and ignore the God of justice. So no, it was not a wrong thing for these martyrs to make this plea. How about for us? Would it be a wrong thing for us to desire justice? First, I would say that we cannot draw direct parallels between us and these martyrs in Revelation 6. We are not under strict persecution. Many are claiming that, that the church is being persecuted right now. But the fact is that, that whatever you might call persecution, right now where we're at, the, the world is receiving the same things as, as the church is. Perhaps in the future that might not be the case, but for now we cannot relate to their persecution. And we can't draw a direct parallel to them because they were literally killed for their faith. That's what a martyr is. Someone who was unrelenting in their faith. Someone who uh, would not, uh, would not con uh, stop confess confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. And they would do so even to the point of death. We are obviously uh, not either of those this morning. But still, would it be wrong for us to desire for justice or, or judgment to come upon those who uh, have wronged us or spitefully used us? I don't think so. There should be a desire to feel vindicated. Don't, don't you think Jesus desired to feel vindicated? After being killed for the claims of, of being the Son of God, which actually were, were true... Don't you think that he wanted to feel vindicated? And whenever God made a public display of him by raising him from the dead and, and saying everything that he said of himself was true, he, he was vindicated. Don't, don't you want those who, who wronged you in this life to see that on that day that, that you were right and they were wrong? Absolutely. However, I, I do think that we should have a greater desire uh, for mercy and, and for justice. 
We who were dead in our trespasses and sins deserve death because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. We are all ultimately deserving of death, correct? But because uh, God and the great love with, with which he loved us acted so that we wouldn't have to face that penalty. And so, yes, we ought to desire for God to right every wrong. But ultimately, uh, we ought to desire the same thing that God desires for all people, which is for all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For them to receive the same mercy that we received. If we're saying that we deserve mercy but that they deserve judgment, we're saying that we deserve more than someone else does. But we don't. But first notice that there was no rebuking or chastising done in Revelation 9, 6, 9 through 11. God saw no problem with their crying out for justice and we shouldn't have a problem with it as well. Number two this morning is that judgment comes to the ungodly. Judgment comes to the ungodly. You know, there's, there's very few themes that run throughout the Bible just as heavily in the Old Testament as they do in the New, New Testament or vice versa. But the judgment of the ungodly is a message that is preached just as strongly in the New Testament as in the Old Testament, uh, despite what some may say. And the judgment of the ungodly extends to the last book of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Once again, what are they crying out for? They're crying out for judgment. They're crying out for, for justice. And guess what? Those cries will be answered. God uh, did not give them a robe, tell them to wait, and then did nothing about the situation. He had every intention of fulfilling their request, and we, we see that later in the book. Again, who is the, the enemy in this context? It's Rome. Rome is the strongest force of persecution that's coming upon the church at this time. But again... These are things that are being signifying to us. We're dealing with signs. And, and, and what is the, the name that we see given to Rome throughout the book? It's Babylon. Okay, why Babylon? Well, Babylon was the enemy of God and Israel in the Old Testament, so that makes sense. But, but think about how this book, the book of Revelation, was going to have to get its way out of the isle called Patmos. How is it going to make its way into the world? Yes, by the providence of God, but also Rome was occupying pretty much all of the known world at, at the time. So they were eventually, Rome was eventually going to ha- get the, the book of Revelation into their hands. Well, what might have happened if they read the book of Revelation and they read in it the, the fall or the demise of Rome? They would have thought the Christians are planning an, an uprising and persecution only gets worse from there. But when they read the fall or demise of Babylon, they don't think much of that. Maybe they think, you know, those Christians are some odd people. Don't they know that Babylon has been gone for uh, many years now? So uh, that might be a good reason why Rome is, call, is not called Rome, but rather Babylon. But what we see throughout the book of Revelation is the fall or the demise of Babylon or Rome and their destruction because of their wickedness. And a bit of lengthy reading here, but let's get a full picture of the fall of Babylon as told in the book of Revelation. Look at chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. me in chapter 18 uh, verses 1 and following. It says, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. 
For all the nations have drunk of the wine of, of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her for my people, uh, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure I give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see uh, the smoke as her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for one, one, one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise and gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet, every kind of citron, wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and fragrances, wine and oil, uh, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and the bodies of the souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance and fear for her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city which was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing." Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many came and trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which you all who had ships on the sea became rich by your wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of the millstone which shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were great, uh, great men of the earth, for by your sorcery and all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the, the earth with their fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And in on it goes. So Babylon, that once great and haughty city, in one hour of John's viewing was made desolate. Like the, the Old Testament imagery of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord had utterly destroyed Babylon and laid waste to it. But these things did, did not stay signs 
These things did not just stay visions that John had, but these things would come to life when those uh, Germanic tribes finally banded together and unified to overtake Rome and, and to lay it to waste. So these cries, uh, the, these martyrs are, are again crying out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? That is answered in the fall of Babylon. What about now? Does judgment still come on the, on the ungodly, or was this just Rome? Let's take a quick detour to the Psalms. Look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is a psalm that is attributed to Asaph. And Asaph is going to be struggling with and working through a problem that he has. Look at Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph's problem is that the wicked seemed to be prospering while he, a righteous person, was not. And in verses 4 through 15, he speaks about all the ways that, that they prosper, that they don't feel death's sting, which is not true, that they don't face the same consequences that others do, which also is not true, that they're prideful, that they, they eat as much as they want, and so on he goes. But look at verses 13 and 14. He says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Woe is me. He's throwing a personal pity party because of uh, he feels as though he is receiving the short end of the stick. But after all this talking about the prosperity of the wicked and this personal injustice against him, look at verses 16 and 17. He says, when I thought, about, uh, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful, me, painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. So it wasn't until he went into the sanctuary, into the temple, that he understood therein. He, therein. He, he then goes on to talk about all the ways that, that they will be punished because of their wickedness. He corrects his uh, earlier, pre, pre, previous misconception that the wicked are going to live as they, however they want to and they're going to get away with it. But he now says, I now know that the wicked ultimately will not prosper. And notice he's not talking about any specific group of individuals here. He's speaking in general terms. This means that this is a principle for all peoples in all times. This is what we see in, in, in the fall of Rome and Revelation. But that was just a specific example of what Asaph is talking about here. So the same is true for us today. Whenever you feel like Asaph, whenever you feel like those people around you who are living however they want to and they're uh, prospering and you're suffering, remember the word of God. Remember that it says that in eternity, the wicked will not prosper. The Lord is, is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Nahum 1 and verse 3. So from the, the fall of Babylon and Revelation and the realized retri retribution in Psalm 73, see that the judgment comes to the ungodly. Number three and finally this morning, God is the ultimate source of comfort. Finally and simply and quickly, getting back to Revelation chapter 6, God is the ultimate source of comfort. 
We've already read and, and made mention of the response to these cries of, of these martyrs that a white robe was given to them and that, that they were told to wait and, and, and rest a little while longer. What does that sound like to you? To me, that sounds like a picture of comfort, uh, of God comforting his distressed people. The, de- the text doesn't explicitly say that God was the one who provided these things, but he was the one who they were crying out to. So it makes sense that he was the one who provided these white robes and this admission to wait a little while longer. And as we've already seen, the message given them was also wait a little, a little while longer because justice is coming. Many blame God for almost everything that goes wrong in the world. Whenever a natural disaster strikes, whenever a loved one passes away, or any, really any tragedy that, that, that happens, God is often unfairly claimed to be causing these things or responsible for these things because he let them happen. But according to scripture, God is not the one who is responsible for heartaches and tragedies, but he is rather the one that we go to whenever they strike. Psalm 23 and verse 4 Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God is not the source of heartache, but when he is viewed as he is, He is the God of all comfort. So in just a moment, I want to tie this into our conclusion as well. So again, these martyrs are crying out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And from their cries and and God's response, we can take away three things from it. That it's not a wrong thing to, or a sinful thing to desire for God to enact judgment or or justice on, on the wicked. That eventually, as God made Babylon fall, so the wicked will not prosper, as judgment will always come to the ungodly. And that as God comforted these martyrs in their distress, distress, he can and does the same thing for his servants today. And as we close, turn your Bibles, if you would, towards the end of the book, in, in, in the book of your Bibles in, in Revelation 21. Chapter 21, verse 1 through 22, 11, is John's vision of the new Jerusalem, and some of the things found in it, showing us uh, so many things to signify the life that awaits after this one for the righteous. Look at Revelation 21, 1 through 4. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there is also no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So for the servants of God who have been faithful unto death, They will have the God of all comfort wiping their tears away. What a beautiful picture John paints about our God in the eternal dwelling place of him and his people. Are you on that track this morning? Are you on the track to dwell in the presence of God for an eternity? To have your tears wiped away by the God of all comfort. That is only possible if we conform our lives to his will. 
You know, we've talked a lot about this morning about the judgment of the ungodly. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8 that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Are you on track for eternal comfort or eternal vengeance this morning? Revelation 21 is, will be a reality only for those who have obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or is your life as a Christian in need of retooling or refocusing this morning? The prophet Hosea would say in Hosea 10:12, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. If you have any need this morning, please come as we stand and as we sing.